thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Kim Morrison. Oh, and I'm Cindy O'Meara. <laughs> I looked at her. Um, our beautiful Karen is unable to join us this week, but we are super excited. We have an amazing guest. And Cindy, I would love for you to introduce our gorgeous girl here. Yeah. Uh, who we have with us is Jeanne or O'Farrell. Now, I'm trying to remember exactly who introduced me, and we'll figure that out when we start chatting. But Jeanne is an epigenetic human potential coach at the Aperon Academy in the US. She is actually working in Bali at the moment. That's why it makes it so easy for us to talk to her because we're almost on the same time zone. But she's also a female biohacker. Now, Biohacking is very much a male term. You know, you hear Dave Asprey talk about it. You hear um, Ben Greenfield talk about it. They're all biohackers. And I never think of females biohacking. <laughs> but she's an expert biohacking ha- hacker and is giving keynote speeches on biohacking 101 um, and having some amazing responses. So if you haven't understood a word I have said, <laughs> Jane <laughs> will explain it to you. Welcome, Jane. Hi, Hi guys. Thank, thank you so, so much, much for having, having me. me. Tell, us, tell, tell me what you do. <laughs> now say it in English. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so sure. So as part of um, my position at the Acron Academy, what we do as epigenetic um, human potential coaches. So for those of you who don't know, um, the term epigenetics, if you if you split it up into two words, epi means in addition to or on top of. So we study everything in addition to or on top of your genetics that influences your health. So the dietary, the lifestyle choices that you can make that will either turn on or turn off particular genes that may predispose you to disease, illness, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But when it comes to biohacking, lots of people may have heard heard that term before. Lots of people haven't. I would say that 90% of the population hasn't. When I give my keynote speeches, I ask people to raise their hand if they'd heard of the word before I got there on the day. Um, and very often they have no idea what I'm on about. Um, so like all great things, I took to Dr. Google to try to find the most concise explanation of what biohacking was. Um, and it came up with biohacking as the activity of exploiting genetic material um, without regard to ethics or for criminal purposes. And I found that completely bizarre. Um, and I don't think it describes what biohacking is whatsoever. So I deferred to, to Dave Asprey, as you mentioned, who is what you would call the original biohacker. Um, and he defines biohacking as a crazy-sounding name for something not so crazy at all. It's the desire to be the absolute best version of ourselves. Um, but the main thing that separates a, bioha- a biohacker from someone that's just looking to go down the self-improvement path is a systems thinking approach to your biology. Um, So that means using nutrition, lifestyle, hydration, movement, perhaps some supplementation if you require it to improve your biology. But I think it's also important to address the the psychological aspect as well. So how did you get into it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Well, um, I think... Just before, when when Cindy meant, when Cindy mentioned that she couldn't remember who introduced us, um, I was actually I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa at the age of sixteen, um, and spent the next four years, the majority of my time, in a treatment facility in Melbourne, in and out. Um, and within that time, I went to a health exhibition in Melbourne because my dad took me hoping that I would have some great epiphany and aha moment. Um, and I did because we met Dr. Damien Christoph. And we, we got to the, we got to his stall and he was encouraging me to taste his, his 
forage and I got incredibly anxious at the thought of having to try this new food so I ran off to the bathroom um, and I came back about five minutes later and Dr. Damien Christoph and my dad were next to each other on a chair in tears um, and kind of from that point on Damien introduced oh have you heard about podcasts have you heard about the wellness couch like trying to empower me with some information and education um, and so from that point, I started listening to the bonus guys and then up for a chat. Um, and then I saw that Cindy was coming to Melbourne to give um, a two-day lecture um, at Monash University. And I, I, like, I begged my mom, please, 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 can we go, can we go? And she wasn't all too big on the holistic nutrition, um, but she's like, okay, if it's something you're really passionate about, we'll go. So she purchased the tickets and then at the time of the event, I was in hospital again. A few years later, um, I decided that that was no life for me and I just made a switch and I went, okay, I'm going to leave the medical model behind. And as crazy sounding as it was, there was an up for a chat episode where I remember the three of you girls were speaking about if your daughter were to have an eating disorder or anorexia, how you would deal with it. And I remember a resounding, like the three of you kind of agreed that something you might do is actually to move your family to a homestead or to the country and kind of create new habits, new routines and reassess that relationship with food and farming and all those things. So as part of when I decided that I was going to leave the medical model, I actually moved from my um, the family home that I was raised in in Melbourne and moved an hour and a half down the coast to, to Torquay in Jandjak. Um, and that's where I reprogrammed my entire day um, and I essentially – was biohacking, um, but at the time I had no idea that that's what it was called. I reestablished my relationship with food. I reestablished my my exercise um, to allow me to gain the weight that was necessary and surrounded myself with positive people um, that supported me through that process. And then I started working for Damien, and I came with him as a little personal assistant to Cindy's viewing um, of What's the Week, and that was when we were first introduced. Jeanne, Kim and I are actually sitting here crying. So um, we want to thank you for acting on, you know, what we said um, and acting on what Damien did for you. And I, I think it's very humbling for Kim and I, and I would say Damien and Karen, that you listen to, you know, a small segment of what we said and you acted on it. And I, and I want to congratulate you for what you have done. I would hope that we have lots of people that are listening to this that will jump on that bandwagon and go, I have to do something different because if I continue to do what I'm doing right now, then I'm going to get the same results. So, um, all right, now now that we understand, you know, where now that we've regained yeah, composure. <laughs> now that we've regained composure, once you'd figured out, you know, you, you healed yourself basically. Once you had done that, what got you to now do the epigenic human potential coach and the and the biohacking? Where did you go from there? Where did you go from Torquay? Just 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 before so, go, just before you go there, Janine. Yes. So hold that question. Mm -hmm. I want I want. Are you able to explain? What is anorexia? Like what what happens in your mind? What 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 actually has occurred? I, I just want to go back a little bit because mm -hmm. there's a lot of mums that listen to this with daughters that are in your position. And yeah. how can you explain to us what that looked like and what would have helped you or could have helped you a little bit more from your parents or friends or family? Can you just help us a little bit there? And then I really want to know where you took it. Yeah. Okay, so... Honestly, after my, like, my diagnosis from the time that I, there's kind of within the medical model in the hospital system, I found there was a bit of um, a victim mentality around it. It was a bit like, oh, poor you. You didn't ask for this, like, mental illness. Um, but to a certain extent, I didn't really agree with that because there was a period of time when I decided I actively saw images on the internet and decided that's what I wanted to look like. And those images were obviously of people that were ill. So to a certain extent, I did feel as though I did choose to be sick. Um, and my 
ability to stay sick for so long was also a choice in my experience. Now, as obviously when your child is diagnosed with anorexia and drops as much weight as I did, as quickly as I did, my parents sought the only support that they knew, which was psychologists and therapists. But really in the early days, all they did was I remember I would I would go to appointments, but they would spend more time with my parents than they would with me. And their first interaction with me during the session would be a weigh-in. Um, and that kind of just set the tone for the next two, like hour or two hours of discussion and tears. And um, So I actually started with the Maudsley approach, which is a family-based treatment where your parents take charge of your, your treatment. And as much as obviously I hated that, I can say that if my mum wasn't as ruthless and determined as she was to get me better, I would certainly not be alive. Um, we, our, our relationship has gone through some obscenely challenging moments. There have been police calls. There have been threats to call an ambulance to admit me to hospital, even when I was so ill and I would go and see my general practitioner. When my OBS, so my blood pressure and heart rate, were so low, um, I would still refuse to go. So I was given a choice, look, you can either go in the car with your mum or I can call an ambulance right now. And as challenging as that was on my relationship with my mum and as challenging as at times I despised her, she ultimately kept me alive. And she was the only one. She was sending messages to my friends to help them understand. She was giving them updates. She was speaking to my family. She was doing so much research I can't even she left her job to look after me we lost an obscene amount of money at that time if my stepdad hadn't come into the picture we would have lost our house um so I would hope that any mother out there with a child going through this would never have to experience that and they the last time I was in hospital they were taking my blood sugar and it was so low that they had to move me into a medical wing because I was too unstable to be in the eating disorders ward. And a few months after I'd gained some weight and my cognition was up, they would say, they would describe to me that they had doctors and nurses going home each night in tears because they didn't think that I would wake up in the morning. And I was just so delusional from any concept of that. Um, there was times in hospital I was that, I was the, the inpatient that, I told them I can't stop compulsively exercising. I need someone to watch me 24-7 to make me stop because I would set my alarm and wake up during times in the middle of the night while I was in hospital to compulsively exercise. Um, so with any experience, it came education. Once I started listening to, okay, maybe there's another way, maybe there's a way that you don't need to go into a treatment facility and the philosophy is eat the food. It doesn't matter what the food is. Get the weight on and your brain will catch up. That never resonated with me. If you can find something that does resonate with someone, that's so powerful. And for me, it became I was all in athletic. So for me to channel my kind of – because I would say anorexia is an addiction and an obsession to that empty stomach feeling, to being able to wrap your hands around your arms, whatever it is. I've channeled that into I want to feel strong. And I want to hit a new personal best. And now I'm like, I do some endurance training now, but I also train CrossFit, but I fuel my body appropriately to compensate for those things. So I think channeling that energy into something else was probably the most valuable thing that I could have done. Jane, is, is it true? I had one mum with a daughter who was a dancer with diagnosed with this illness, and she was told by the doctors to feed ice cream and deep fried Mars bars, anything with high, high caloric foods, didn't matter what it was. Yet my understanding was this girl had got there because she was concerned about sugar foods and I'm just wondering how that would screw with yeah. your mind. Um, would you prefer yeah. it? Would you have, would you yourself, had your mother turned up with something like a chicken soup or just the, the broth or scrambled eggs, would you have eaten that or is that an issue as well? To be honest, I'm not sure. But the experience I had when we were doing a family-based treatment approach was, you know, I was having a porridge for breakfast, but I would find my mum, like, sneaking, like, 
thickens cream into the porridge. And I remember the one day I, I, I saw that the porridge ended up across the floor. Um, I didn't get it. Um, but, yes, there was a very – like for a while there, I was on – I think it was 4,000 to 4,500 calories a day. My mom was, was calculating that. She had a little – like a journal that she would write things down and she thought she wasn't hiding it from me, but of course I knew where it was. Um, and it was, I was starting to get into the health and wellness stuff. My mum kind of like adapted that to include more quality calorie dense foods. Like I would have a smoothie in the afternoon that involved like coconut milks and coconut creams and fruits and maybe a raw egg, blah, blah, blah. As I learnt more and she saw that I was, I was willing to eat those things. However, I will say that the amount of food that you do need to eat it is it can be intimidating. And after that afternoon smoothie, I was tired because my body had to digest that amount of food. And so for that period of time, I, I probably, I mean, I was very sick. I was, so just for an example, I'm six foot tall and I weighed 42 kilos. Um, so <laughs> the amount of, yeah, the amount of food that I had to eat was quite intimidating. Um, but by getting that through liquid calories and then able, once I was able to introduce some other foods and once my parents saw the influence that Damien was having and, um, I started, started working with a nutritionist at his practice named Carly and having that accountability um, and also, I think, like like working with a mentor that you see as, oh, I would actually, it may sound bad, but in an aesthetic way, I would actually like to look like that. So working with Carly as a healthy older woman thinking, okay, if I want to look healthy and well and strong when I'm her age, I want to be doing these things. So having an influencer that holds you accountable and, I, like, and, and Carly was amazing during the time that, I was preparing my own meals, she would tolerate every picture that I would send her. Every every breakfast, snack, lunch, snack and dinner, I would send a picture to get that kind of that reassurance that yet you're doing the right thing, you're on the right path. So in the beginning, had I been given scrambled eggs and things like that, I probably wouldn't have eaten it. With the education that I had then gained from working with Damien, working with Carly, from listening to podcasts, yes, and that's what began to happen as we kind of, as we merged higher caloric foods but whole foods. So education, it sounds like, was something that changed um, things for you. Am, am I right in saying that? Absolutely, yeah. But but was it a case of when you the education is out there? The mums yeah. are desperate for you to have that education and they're researching and doing everything they can for themselves. Is it also mm-hmm. based on when you're ready to hear it? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, my and, mom, and Jane, yes? what was the point? Like where was the it's, point where you actually <laughs> went, I, I'm hearing you? Like what, what was the trigger, yeah. the switch, the flick? What was it? Um, I think it was... To be honest, there were like smaller ones. There were smaller flicks where I could deal with an extra five kilos to do something, um, like an extra an extra couple of kilos to get me out of hospital, and then it was an extra couple of kilos to deal with the stress of university, and then it was working with Damien and Carly and seeing that's slowly going up, but I was also doing um, what your audience may know as BIA scans. So that that will tell you the health of your cells. It will show you your muscle mass increasing, your fat mass. And for a while we were concerned that might become obsessive given my history, but it didn't. And it was a really great driver for me to see this was what I was doing and this was a direct correlation. But had you said that for the first three years, uh, there's no way I would have, like, I would go in there and I would have gained, let's say, 800 grams of lean muscle mass and maybe two or 300 grams of fat. Now, at that time, when I was ready to hear those things, that was great for me. 
had you told me that that was the plan two years ago, I would have thrown my plate at you. There was just no concept that gaining weight would be would benefit me or my life. But slowly but surely, the first step was in hospital when I decided spending eight months of the year in hospital wasn't a life. The next came on a day that Damien actually dropped me home and we sat in the front seat of his car probably talking for a few hours and he just kind of described the the way that he looked at me and saw this potential but he saw the cogs turning in my brain constantly that I was still caught up and obsessed in this thing and I was still incredibly underweight and so then I gained a little bit more and then I actually had my first ever real teenage experience um, when I was at university and I went to um, the university games as part of the Melbourne University netball team. And while it wasn't the healthiest of experiences, obviously, um, it was the first time that I was young and I was having fun and there was more important things to think about than food. And then I was, for the first time in five years, I was allowed to leave the country because I was medically stable and my father and I went for a holiday to Bali and I never left. And that meant that I was on my own and I held myself accountable to being healthy and looking after myself. And that has been the biggest shift. As a young girl coming to a foreign country, there's no one that's going to baby me. My mum's not here to count my calories. She's not here to cook my food. Um, and it's all on me. But as scary as that was, initially now it's so empowering and now I my best friends work at the CrossFit gym down the road I'm at the CrossFit gym every day pretty much and they are big strong women and men that empower me to no no you have to feel this you can't just go 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 home now and and skimp on nutrition because I know if my nutrition is not ample the next day my performance lacks and so that's been the biggest the biggest shift has been coming to Bali and surrounding myself with these people that empower me to be stronger and healthier and also young. Jenna, can I ask you, I, I don't want to offend you and I no, no. would not want to offend any mum or child or person going through this and please forgive my ignorance because I have no, no, no. concept of this. Is it, is it um, a... a is the attention and is the conversation all around you and the the sense of control that you would mm-hmm. have on the people that love you is that a is that a factor in this and and the love of the attention please please I don't mean that offensively I just I'm just no, curious no. to know is that a factor in this as well when you're in it in my experience absolutely absolutely um around the time of my disorder, not that I'm I'm not blaming it on my my parents separating to any degree. However, that had happened a few years earlier. My dad was, was in Turkey already a few hours away. Um, as much as he gave me as much love and attention, like he would drive every every weekend to watch me play sports and things. Um, but there was still my family unit and my stability was gone. And to a certain extent, it was also the people that I saw. Like I have an older brother um, and he was a bit of a charmer like with the ladies and so I saw his girlfriends as well that were usually quite thin and we had a, like a running joke for a little while that he had a type and that type looked quite ill. Um, and so there was lots of these different factors where I thought, so if I look like this, then people will love me. But if I look like this and get sick, then everyone's going to want to look after me. And as distorted as that was, as a 16-year-old, like maybe you could justify that. Like you want some sort of attention. You want people to care for you, to love you. But once you get hit 18, like, like my dad was someone that throughout my illness, he was always supportive, but he, he always said, he's like, I can't change your mind for you. There's just going to be one day where something clicks. Um, And so he would keep offering me the food, knowing that I was always going to say no. 
but kept offering it until one day I would say yes. And yes, to a large extent, it was an attention. It was, I was, the. it became my identity was the sick one where my mum did everything with me. My mum and I have never had a great relationship. We've been close, but we've, I've always been a daddy's girl. But during the time of my illness, she had to be by my side at all times. She had to come to the bathroom with me to ensure that I wasn't then throwing up what I had eaten. She had to come to the bathroom with me to ensure I was doing squats in the bathroom. It was this immediate close contact. And I remember like nights where I was in bed and I would be lying there thinking, should I pretend that I really want to exercise so that mum sleeps next to me? And I don't know where that came from. Both of my parents have been incredibly loving, incredibly nurturing, but there was just once you had that attention, people caring for you, it became addictive. And that's why my father always had a bit of an issue with me being in the hospital actually because he found it too easy. Your food was given to you. You had people surrounded by you all the time. You had activities. You had all these things just handed to you. And it was, it was almost like you were a kid again. And when I was a child, ironically, I never slept in my parents' bed. I was incredibly independent. I was incredibly academic. So whether that was something that my, from my childhood that I'd, I'd bypassed and then I was craving again, that could very well be the case. I, I think you kind of answered it, but one of the things, um, that I, I seem to be getting here is that it wasn't one trigger that started no. this whole thing. Like when was the day you decided I'm not going to eat anymore? Um, mm. You know, was there an well, illness that, before? Yes. Sir. Okay, that's, yeah, what, what, what was that final trigger do you think? And like it sounds like there was a divorce and your father had moved away and you wanted mm. um, more attention. But do you do you know remember the day you made that decision and what was the final trigger? Yes, I think also for me it was it was very materialistic and very aesthetically driven. I wanted to look a certain way and in year ten I was like I was this tall, gorgeous girl, this long blonde hair, I was doing well at school, I was doing well at sport, I had this amazing boyfriend and he asked me to do his debutante ball with him and of course I said yes because I got to wear a white dress and look pretty blah 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 and I told myself okay for this Deb I'm gonna try and lose weight I'm gonna be really strict on my diet work out blah 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 I didn't change anything in fact the night before I was sitting on the couch with my best girlfriend and I ate an entire block of chocolate and that was quite normal for me at the time I had really poor eating habits that wasn't even I wouldn't even blink my eyelids and then once the dead had passed, we got back the professional um, images of me and my boyfriend. And he was quite lean. He was very athletic. And I saw how I looked compared to him. And I cried for hours that night. I was in tears in my bedroom. And anyone who had looked at those, those images will admit that they're not great. They're not very flattering and I don't look particularly beautiful and that was when I went no I'm not looking like this in any more pictures I don't want to look back on these like moments of my life and look like that and also yes is that your interpretation of it or was it did everybody think I just can't imagine people saying you didn't look beautiful so was that just your perception like I like on the night I would say that I looked like, yes, I did look beautiful in hindsight, but those pictures were not flattering images. Um, even my family will admit they're like, I don't know what, my dad's actually a photographer. And they, the, the lighting and the way that they had positioned us, I, it, just, it wasn't the best images of me, but of course my mind took that and ran with it. So I don't, I don't think anyone else saw it to the extent that I did. Um, But I kind of used that and then I I put that as my lock screen and my wallpaper on my phone. So whenever I got hungry, I would look at that picture and I'd be like, no, it's not worth it. Wow. And ironically, the the first person, well, not ironically, luckily the first person to notice was actually 
my best girlfriend at the time, she she was like me, six foot tall, gorgeous Caribbean girl. And we were so athletic. We played every sport together. And then at school and at training, she saw that my energy was lacking. And then she noticed my skin and then she noticed that I would always slip away when it came to food. And she was the first person to contact my parents. Jane, if if a young woman or a young man was listening to you right now, and I dare say a lot of mums and dads will want their child to hear this because it's very raw, and I, I just want to say on behalf of Cindy and I, thank you for being so, so honest and so open. What would you say to them, the parents and the child? What what would be your words right now? I think to the parent. No matter how much, no matter how much you think that your child hates you, because I can guarantee that the amount of times where my mum and I could have potentially like hurt each other, like our arguments got violent, and it's anorexia is an aggressive disease, and it does not like anyone saying anything about it, and no matter how much you're struggling with that relationship with your child, just know that one day when they've come out the other side, the amount of love and gratitude that they will hold for you for what you had to endure during those years or those months is beyond what you could ever imagine. Like my my mum and I are still trying to heal through what has happened through that time, but the amount of love and compassion that I have for the things that she had to do, which I know would have been so painful to watch me cry through meals while she sat there and held my hand and stroked my back to give me ultimatums. If you don't eat this, you're not going to school. If you don't eat this, you're not going to that sleepover. As horrible as you might think of a parent you're being or you might be told that you're being by your child, you are doing the right thing. And what you're doing is, I can guarantee, probably 99% out of pure love. And all you want to do is see your child survive. And my mom has just come to Bali. She's just seen my life now. She's seen my independence. And for her, I think, as much as she doesn't quite understand my hippie lifestyle, (laughs) she appreciates that she's what got me here. Um, And without her going through that horrible experience and feeling like a horrible parent when she knew she was doing the right thing, she enabled me to live this life now. Um, So while she might not understand it, she can appreciate it. And if you're the one, if you are the child or the young girl or the young woman, because I still see this now, the amount of girls that come through the gym that walk around Bali in their itty-bitty bikinis, the girls on Instagram, I think it's a lot more apparent than is diagnosed. And the freedom that comes from not obsessing about what you look like cannot be described. The amount of extra brain power that you have, and it's so hard because when you ask me what to say to someone in that position, I don't think I would would have listened to anyone. And the amount of people that told me it gets better, it gets better. The only time I recognized that maybe it was going to get better was when this another girl that I was in hospital with did get better. And we went to the same music festival and I was miserable because I was throwing up in the bathroom and feeling horrible and avoiding any kind of socialization around food or alcohol and she was having an amazing time. And seeing that immediate comparison of someone that had healed from this and someone that was very much stuck in the depths of it, you you just have to take that leap of faith sometimes. And what I was told by, by my psychologist and by Carly Gallagher, who's a nutritionist that works with Damien, if anyone is looking for someone, I cannot recommend her enough. She said to me, just try it. Just try getting better for a month. And if you don't like it, you can go back to your old ways. But just give it a month of whole foods, of slow to moderate level intensity exercise like walking and yoga where you can still move your body but it's not obsessive. And after a month, if you want to go back to being sick 
you can do it. I gave myself a month and there was no way I was going back. Wow. Well done. Yeah. And, and I'd love to say to any mum, dad, young man, young woman going through this, I hope that us sharing this and mm. you being so vulnerable, it gives you that little light of hope to know that you too can get through this. So, so it's having people in your corner. It's having your mum and dad not give up on you. It's having someone outside of the circle that perhaps isn't just medically based but has a holistic mindset and an approach to it. It's someone giving you small steps and it's someone telling you there is a way and it's you acknowledging and recognising that the attention you're seeking is perhaps um, not the best way to get the attention and love that you deserve. I've heard all of that. I want to hear you now. You've come out the other side. You're obviously becoming, you've become a lot more aware. And now I want to go back to Cindy's question (laughs) of what led you into doing what you do now. Yeah, so I think the passion came from recognising that what I had done was accidentally biohacking. Um, The amount of people that I see that don't necessarily understand what it feels like to feel well um, whether they are part of the general population or typically lots of the people that I work with are actually high-performance CrossFit athletes or high-stress corporates. And the stress that they put themselves under because, like me, they might may have or oftentimes do have a very type A personality, that requires a very, very acute attention to what you're eating, to the amount of water that you're drinking, to the movement that you're doing because there comes a certain point where while exercise is a healthy stress, you can have too much stress. And so by doing, by working epigenetically and seeing what their DNA tells us in terms of what their strengths are in exercise, what they fuel the best on in terms of food um, and what diseases they might be more susceptible to contracting in their lifetime, that enables us to steer them down a much healthier route of, of long than someone that might want to I mean epigenetics the way I look at it is more if you're looking for a healthy long life if you are looking if you are a high performance athlete sometimes athletics and performance doesn't necessarily correlate with health um so we might need to tweak some things sometimes if someone has an event coming up and during that time we are really really just managing their body's stress response to that load just trying to get them through with the peak performance. And then once they choose to retire from their sport or during an off-season, that's when we're looking to maintain that optimal health. And I think this idea of longevity and being able to maintain a healthy life is something that's also become an undercurrent of my own life because, as I said, I'm very type A. My thinking is very black and white. So like I've said before, and I'll say it again, if someone invites me out for a couple of drinks, I can't just go out for a couple of drinks. I know my mind well enough to understand that, okay, I need to either just agree to a dinner at somewhere where I know I can get a healthy meal in or I'm going out with my friends and I'm just kind of going to have that, that night off. That doesn't happen very often, but I've learnt myself and I've learnt the way that my mind works that, okay, that's not a good environment for me to be in. So let's make a choice now ahead of time whether I'm going to do this or this. And by, by looking at someone's epigenetics, you're able to give them the resources to draw on on those times. So are you, are you someone that if you go out to eat and you're in an environment where your only options are blah, 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 are you someone that makes a healthy choice easily or are you someone that's, that typically doesn't? Do you need to draw on one particular restaurant in your area that you know you can go there and they'll customize a meal, whatever? Or are you you pretty happy going out and choosing something off the menu and your body will tolerate that? And when we do look at nutrition in particular, which is my, my labor of love, I love seeing the influence of people's history on what they can eat. Um, so for me, I'm actually of Irish heritage. So I do very well. 
on meat and potatoes, to be honest. I could eat meat and potatoes and feel really good. However, for my athletic performance and my recovery time, I found that I could do a bit better on more of like a ketogenic style diet. So higher fats, I just feel like I'm less inflamed, I recover faster and things like that. And I've also got a predisposition for that in in my genetics, where there are some people that I can't remember what it's called, but there's some there's a group of people that actually do incredibly well on about eighty to ninety percent carbohydrate. There's a genetic group and there's a name for it that I can't remember, but eighty to ninety percent carbohydrate in the diet. Jeanette, um, the Katavas are you yes. talking about? The, the Katavas. Maybe. They're a group of um, Papua New Guineans that um, their diet is basically tropical fruits, carbohydrates, um, as far as yes. root vegetables go, small amounts of fish and coconut oil. I, I don't know if that's yes. who you're thinking of, is the Katavas, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that is definitely, definitely one. Um, and then there's, there's a group within genetics almost like it might be like it's the it's the carb version of like an ectomorph or, or something like that yeah. some sort of obscure name is that um, smart dna jane yes 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 yeah so with um at um at apron academy when, when we work with clients we actually sequence their dna in our lab in america and then the coaches will receive um a, a translation of that information and then we will then translate that to our client in in ways that they can optimize their human potential who's behind um apron who's the um company behind it um so it was the apron academy is actually a company and it was founded by dr dan Sinclair, who I met early this year, I travelled to Austin, Texas for Paleo FX, um, and that was actually where we, where we met each other. And so what are you doing now then? What's your mission? See, I find that lots of people have asked me that, and lots of people assume, given my history, that I want to go forward and help girls that were in the same, well, young, young women and males, in the same position that I was in with eating disorders. I would love to do that. That is something I would love to do. However, I will admit that at the moment I don't feel like I'm in a place to be giving advice to those people necessarily. I don't feel like I'm as far out of it or recovered as I need to be to be in that position of authority and I don't feel like I would feel comfortable. As much as I have gotten over it and I'm in a healthier place now, I still obviously have those thoughts come up. and really struggle to deal with those sometimes. However, I do see nutrition and my knowledge of that and my understanding of the science and this idea of optimizing human potential and understanding that we can influence our health and our psychology ourselves uh, and we don't need a medical doctor necessarily to give us a prescription to do that. And so really I do want to as the trademark is, to optimise human potential, whether someone, for that someone, that might be running a marathon, that might be being a high-level executive, that might be living on the beaches in Bali and being a surfer, whatever it is for you, and finding a way to optimise that in terms of your biology and your outlook on life without becoming too obsessive because I can be very obsessive and I don't think that's a healthy place to be in. For me, when I went to Paleo FX and I saw Ben Greenfield on stage. Mm, he's great. <laughs> I, I, exactly. I decided I wanted to be that, but for women. Because as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this whole idea of biohacking is so masculine. And while his information is incredible, I do have to interpret it and then tweak it for my own biology because I'm not a six-foot-two man. I'm a six-foot-tall woman with different hormones and different environment. So I would love to be doing keynote speeches to educate people, to get some more information out there around what biohacking is, but also just epigenetics and the ways that we can optimise our human potential ourselves. Um, So, I mean, a dream would be to speak at events like Paleo FX or something like um, the Wellness Summit and things like that. So... I would love to be doing things like that and sharing information. I also love 
athletics and performance. I'm looking to – I'm doing um, three half marathons this year and my first full one at the end of the year. As much as I loved CrossFit, I sequence like my own DNA and you can test whether you're a strength, power or endurance athlete. And it was no surprise that for a six-foot-tall girl with incredibly long limbs, I came back as an endurance. Um, so I've decided to, to play with that a little bit. So I'll be sharing some information about how I'm preparing for that. And then I was looking at some obstacle racing just to maintain some more muscle mass and things. Um so, yeah, really interested in athletic performance but also just general optimization. So, Johnny, I'm going to give you some advice now and I'm going yeah. to suggest something to you on behalf of every mum out there that um, your type, your personality, yes, it has its incredible, I guess, constraints around analicity. Um, that's not a word, um, but also <laughs> the desire to always have outcomes and the desire to always achieve. That is also mm. wonderful positives and it has its strengths. So it's just a case of turning the pendulum into its strengths rather than focusing on its constraints and uh, being aware of those constraints, which it sounds to me the more you're growing and maturing, the more you're sharing, uh, the more you're seeing that. But having... Um, your your concern around not having enough knowledge or not having enough um, or not feeling comfortable in coaching people, I would suggest isn't about your your illness of past or anything like that. It is typical of most people out there, and that is just a sense of not being good enough or ready enough. And I'm going yeah. to make the suggestion that I would imagine that any mum or dad listening to this with family members of this condition, you have probably spoken more sense and more um, given more credibility and understanding around this condition than perhaps any medical expert or person who has studied this. There is nothing like experience mm -hmm. to give you an insight into the truth or the perspective of that insight when you have yourself lived it. And one of the greatest things that I was told many years ago, having never thought because I don't have a degree behind my name or that I'm I'm good enough, and I suggest I would suggest most people on this planet have these moments of self-sabotaging beliefs that in order to be a great learner, you just have to start teaching. And so therefore we learn more through teaching than we actually do perhaps even in learning. And I'd love to suggest to you that there is no such thing as perfection or getting it right, which your type is very prone to wanting. Um, I would suggest that by coaching people and being raw and open about what you're at, where you're at and what you're doing is actually going to have even more impact than waiting for you to be supposedly perfect in the knowledge that you share. So I, I have a feeling that this podcast will be one of our most listened to podcasts because of your vulnerability and your ability to share. And also it is such a big topic and such a big issue out there for many people. So I want to ask you on behalf of, of Cindy, Karen and I that you start immediately, that you actually jump in and you keep going with what you're doing but you, you, you put your hand up to be the guiding light for some people because you will resonate with so many people with your message and, and now that you are here on Up for a Chat, I would love to know that you could be the person that could start a revolution or a new way of thinking because you've had the power and potential to come out the other side, plus you're also incredibly articulate in the way that you express it. So can we ask you to be that person and would you mind stepping up into that and just realising that perfection isn't the answer, it is actually the sharing and the vulnerability that will support people. I just know a number of people and families that would love to know that they could talk to you and so how can how can that happen? That can, that can certainly happen. I mean, I think all I kind of did need was that green light to know that it's okay and I don't need to be in that place of authority or necessarily be held on a pedestal which as you described for someone with my personality that's what I expect and that's what I require to feel as though I'm worthy to give that information but if anyone does want that information I'm actually very happy for people to add me on Facebook 
um, and speak to me there. If you want to, um, if you want to find me on Facebook, my name is challenging to spell, so maybe you can find it in the show notes. But I'm also on on Facebook as Ultra Nutrition Co. Um, so that's Ultra Nutrition and then Co with C O with a dot. You can also email me Jeanne at ultranutrition.co. Um, so any questions, um, any expressions of interest, if you'd like to chat more, if you want to organize a Skype session, I'd be more than happy with that. So if anyone wants wants to find me, Ultra Nutrition Co on Facebook and Jeanne at ultranutrition.co for emails. And, and spell your name for us. Yes. So that would be Z-H-A-N-E at ultranutrition.co for email and on Facebook, if you're looking to add me as a friend, it's Z-H-A-N-E with an accent on the E because my parents thought they'd be a little bit challenging when it comes to spelling. <laughs> <laughs> and Sweetheart, are you okay if it's the mum or the dad emailing you for advice from that angle? Absolutely. And are you okay? Absolutely. Yeah, great. And so I think, I think that perhaps most times can be more beneficial for the parents to understand what space the child's in. Yeah. So yeah. what would be, I know we're coming to the end of our time, what is what is your message? What is your What would you love our listeners to hear from this and what is your goal? I think what I would love people to understand from this is there are ways that no matter what stuckness you're in, no matter where you feel like you can't move, you always can. And education and empowerment is the number one factor in moving you out of that space. I firmly believe that, as Cindy says, when you know better, you do better. Um, And seek the information because it is there. So I highly recommend to all of my clients, actually, I subscribe different sorts of podcasts for what their interests may be or what they're looking to optimise. So listen to podcasts, subscribe to some cool blogs, even follow people you like on Instagram and have that daily inspiration there to know that there's more and that you can get out of that space, no matter what that space is. Tell me what you tell them not to do. I would say insanity, as they say, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I was in and out of the same hospital, going back to the same home, to the same routines for three years. Those habits and those negative ideas and thought patterns were bred in that environment because it became so normal and so comfortable. Um, So you do, to a certain extent, have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And some things are going to have to change. Your routine might change. Your environment might change. But you just can't expect to keep doing the same things and achieve a different result. And perhaps perhaps um, at the beginning of this talk you were talking a lot about the people that you were following that you thought would be what you should look like. Is it possible to tell somebody in the middle of this to unsubscribe from people that they think and stop following? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. If you are if – you, if you're spending time on Instagram scrolling through images of – vegan bloggers or people that are doing the raw till four or eating 20 bananas a day and they're incredibly lean, they probably haven't eaten all those bananas. They've probably just taken a picture to get as many likes. And if you are following people on Instagram that are even people like Victoria's Secret models that might not outwardly express something like a distorted eating pattern, their job is to be a model. They spend hours a day working out and they have people that help them recover from those things. They have people that give them their food. And even that in itself to me doesn't really seem like a life. Their entire life is driven towards what they look like. And I don't think anyone should be associating their self-worth with their image. I love it. Mm, I love it. It's an easy concept and perhaps a little bit of a tougher pathway for many people. 
Um, I sincerely hope that that your experience, as Karen would say, you've taken one for the team. <laughs> you've um, you've gone through this for a reason, and so has everybody else experiencing situations like this. So I'm hoping that everybody can see the big picture here and realise that. Um, we had a beautiful podcast with the gorgeous Helen Patteron, who's a naturopath, and it really is a, a world that we are we are subjected to so many images and and perhaps um, authoritarian um, government bureaucratic industries that are warping perception of truth, and it's time for us to get back to to, to the real. The real necessity of life, which is is communication, connection, nature, and actually just being who we truly are, without this distorted belief of what is per- perfection. And I just want to say, on behalf of us, that you know I'm really, really grateful that you've reached out and that you are doing this work. and And hopefully, this podcast now is somewhere where a lot of us can direct people so that there is an understanding. Are you going to be doing programs and and talks and, and, and within the, the next while? And is there something that you can direct us to for now or is it just your your Facebook page and your website? Um, I have just completed a series of speeches around the co-working spaces of Bali. So for now, I'm just going to be focusing on kind of getting a bit more content because I am looking to launch a website um, in the coming like month and a half. So if anyone that is looking out for that, that same website will be um, www.ultranutrition.co. Um, so, yeah, I'll be taking maybe a couple months off just to really get content. I'm toying with the idea of a podcast and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I'll be spending a bit more time on my own thing. I won't be doing so many speeches, but um, I will be back in Melbourne in September um, in, in Oz and undecided for how long I'll be there. I might do some presentations while I'm there. Um, and if so, you can find any of the links to those events on the Facebook or on the coming website. Jeanne, you are very articulate and sometimes experience is more important than a degree. And um, we look forward to seeing um, how you change the world um, one person at a time because your experiences have led you to where you are right now and we are very grateful. You know, Kim and I are just, we've been blown away by this um, podcast and um, I would say it would be one of, it will be one of the ones that will be most listened to. So your articulation is so important when you are a speaker. So congratulations on that and, and thank you so much for your time. It's, um, it's been amazing. Mm. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much for having me. So our beautiful listeners, if you've been as touched um, and, and a little bit torn open in your heart as we have and you know somebody who is experiencing um, an illness such as this, then please, um, if the person themselves aren't willing to listen to it, um, then perhaps the people supporting them, this could give you a little bit of an insight as to, as to how we can support and help those in need. Um, I'm hoping those of you uh, that are in this situation, I'd also love to say step up. I would also love to say it's time for you to make a change and it is possible with hope, with people like Jane, that there is another side to living and you can get attention and love and support in ways that will empower this planet. Um, don't ever forget that and don't ever forget how beautiful and amazing you are. And to you mums and dads, I just want to say that <laughs> our hearts go out to you. You are a phenomenal human being doing the job that you're doing to support this beautiful soul to get through this. And there are no accidents. Um, I think if anybody's got any feedback and, and want to talk to Jeanne direct or, or have a comment to place, don't forget to go to the wellnesscouch.com for forward slash up for a chat or facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and we will make sure that Jane gets your messages. Please converse with her directly. Look to the show notes for all her contact details. I think it's time someone like you was speaking out um, to help these these beautiful souls understand there is another way. So again, on behalf of us, Jeanne, thank you so much for your time and we look forward to seeing you on world stage 
my love even more so. <laughs> um, so thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you, ladies. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, pleasure. All right, beautiful listeners, take care. Be re- Remember, we're all part of the big picture here and you too can become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you next week. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.